Hello and welcome to Cast the Pot, your Witcher. I'm your co-host Dov. I'm your co-host Aaron. And I'm your co-host Max. And today we're discussing the short story, The Lesser Evil, from The Last Wish Anthology. Yeah, the story fucking right. rules. <laughs> it really does. <laughs> so, uh, I mean, I'm like the internet's biggest Renfrey stand, so I'm very excited we finally got to this one. This is the Renfrey story, everybody. I hope you're ready for this. <laughs> yeah, so this uh, roughly corresponds to episode one of the show. Yes. Um, so you get, before it, you get the voice of Reason 3, and, you know, there's Fallwick and the other guy just picking fights with... Neneke and Geralt and I think one of them throws down a gauntlet trying to, to Trying to urge Geralt to leave. Yes. Um, yes. I actually have a like fair amount to say about this bit just because of the way they're treating Neneke in it. So this is um, where we get our first mention of these sort of groups of, of knights, right? The Order of the White Rose. Um, and yep. they basically turned up at the temple of Malatelli, um, and told Nenica that they want Geralt on the order of their prince to get out of Elendor. And I love how salty Nenica is here. Um, she's <laughs> just like straight up, like in this temple, I give the orders and then like tries to threaten them with a potion when they won't leave. Like she's like, I'll just like smash this bottle I've got and maybe your lungs will burst and maybe you'll grow fur. Who knows? It's <laughs> probably just like a healing salve. <laughs> yeah. Um, but what I think is actually interesting and like is like some interesting world building ish stuff um, is that. Um, the way that they respond to Nenica, because like we've already gotten the idea that like the sisters of Melitali are um, are like really respected part of the world, and that the the girls who leave the temple go on to do important things. But these knights are like yelling at her, like "Don't threaten me with your spells," and calling her um, a charlatan, um, and calling the temple a nest of darkness and superstitions. <laughs> so I think it's really interesting that even in these little interstitial bits, we're getting this like larger sense of like the conflicts within the world and like the power struggles. You also get a little bit like the coding in the names is interesting because you've got Falwick and Tails and um, who's the other one? Heroward. Um, mm-hmm. They're quite Anglo names, quite Anglicized. Mm-hmm. Whereas Nenica, mm-hmm. it's obviously kind of otherworldly, not that, not in the same sort of vein of naming, which I thought was just kind of an interesting thing. Like, yeah. I mean, honestly, on my part, I didn't notice that because I think, like, um, this is one of those things where it becomes obvious that the author is not an English speaker because, like, to us, Anglo names are foreign. <laughs> and otherworldly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. Um, Falbeck is an interesting one to be fair because like um, it's it's quite German and I think like the I mean like the uh, the archetypal uh, monastic slash knightly order that like all Polish people are familiar with is the Teutonic Knights right yeah they are quite <laughs> Teuton names aren't they <laughs> whom like they're they're like clearly like at least a little bit based on 
Um, yeah. <laughs> because they're like the archetypal, like, knight, like you know, um, religious knightly order that like people would think of when writing about like, you know, something like the Order of the White Rose in, in fantasy as an Eastern European. Yeah, that's interesting. Oh, yeah. yeah. That makes sense as well in, in the context of the story for them to be coded as Teutons and Neneke to be this sort of matriarchal uh, caring mm-hmm. figure. And what I think is also interesting is that it is, there is like some clear religious fanaticism, right? Because like Nenica, from everything we've seen, like, yeah, she's a priestess, but from everything we've seen of her, like, healing methods, it's all just salads and stitches and hygiene, right? It's not magic at all. Eh, but... she, she does bake potions and shit, as she herself admits here. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, but they, like, like, smoke it's bombs like her Yeah. Yeah, but her blore is a kind like you know like in the in the world of the witcher where you're able to make like potions that accelerate like your your reaction speeds and other things like herb lore is pretty magical isn't it it's a science fiction trope that any kind of sufficiently advanced technology is indiscernible from magic so any kind of medicine that's advanced enough is also indiscernible from magic i kind of see what you're saying but i think like if anything the religious fanaticism thing is much just like clear enunciated just in the way they treat her like and say that yeah, this is I a mean... house of superstition and all that like um like I, I i think i think it's more that in yeah like in the earlier parts of the voice of reason they i think it was dandelion who mentioned that like um the cult of melitale is like um the most popular religion like broadly in society like so what i think is going on here is that like um we clearly see the resentment from like shall we say other religious groups whoever it is that are sponsoring the white rose because i don't think it's ever quite actually said what it is they believe other than that they don't like the cult of militelli well they don't like witchers either because i feel like there's yeah something else i mean they they say oh we won't tolerate having the butcher of Blavik in here, but they also say Harroward will not tolerate the presence of witchers on his lands. And you wonder, first off, that brings up sort of a, a, a repeated theme through the, the books of Geralt and his like relationship with knighthood, but also um, the contrast between witchers and knights gets mentioned a lot in the, the next, not a lot, but enough in the lesser evil. Um, and the the difference, I suppose, between witchers who are supposed to hunt monsters for money and knights who are supposed to, like, defend the realm and defend honor and, like, do things out of the sense of duty or religious conviction or whatever. Um, I just think there's, like, an interesting tension there. Yeah. Like, I think something, like, that where that's reflected is also, um, like, um, that uh, at, at one bit... At, in one particular bit where like Geralt tries to address Falvik directly, um, mm-hmm. it says something about Geralt looking into his eyes and realizing that it's not Hereward, like that wants him gone from this principality, but it says Falvik and people like him, like, mm-hmm. and there is a fair discussion to be had about what's meant by people like him, but I think that like I, I mean one of those explanations might be that knights like you know these sorts of like you know people who have given 
who see it as their like you know god's given duty to like be play that sort of protector role because of honor and religious belief and so on like mm-hmm. feel threatened by this you know godless creature who wanders around doing it for money yes precisely yeah i, I felt like that was a really interesting contrast a really important one especially because um as you know from the show and carrying forward in the books Geralt has sort of a, a tense relationship with the concept of, of knighthood of course Geralt snaps back at the the knights that the order of the white rose has basically become a shadow of its former self and is taking any son of a merchant for the right price and <laughs> that um it doesn't have any courtesy anymore and then of course the the knights are very insulted by this and try to offer a duel and him and Nenica just sort of like ignore it and tell them to leave. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, the the other tension here that is like obvious and like you see it in like all of Sapkowski's stuff is ultimately just, you know, between people who take themselves a little bit too seriously and Geralt. <laughs> like, because, <laughs> um, you know, he just finds, you know, these knights and all their drama about you know, challenging him to, him to a duel and so on, and that just kind of pathetic. And so does Nenica. Yes, I think that's why Nenica and Carol get along so well. Neither of them are particularly pompous and don't like it when other people are. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like... And Nenica has every reason to be. She's like the high priestess of the most important religion in, like, yeah, but the she's... continent. And she's so down to earth. She sounds like your mom, just like, you know, she just, like, <laughs> <laughs> tells you how it is. And... <laughs> Yeah, honestly, this chapter, the first time I read it, obviously we're into rereads now. The first time I read it, this chapter made me so frightened for Nenica. Because, I mean, things don't typically go well when an order of religious knights decides that they don't like the way healer women are acting. (laughs) Yes. So I got really worried for her the first time I read this. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, But this is not the kind of series where the overdramatic do well. (laughs) No, indeed. (laughs) Well, to me, it's not the kind of series which kills people for the sake of it. There's usually a dramatic reason for it. Yes. It's not like Game of Thrones where it's like, oh, let's let's kill a pregnant woman just for the shock factor. It's, you know. Yeah. 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 Um, we don't like yeah, Game of Thrones. So... <laughs> I think that... No, we really don't. <laughs> oh, God, I spent so long in the Song of Ice we have, we must, We must have antagonized so many Game of Thrones fans by now in this podcast, guys. Like, Okay, <laughs> on this podcast, we've talked about not liking Harry Potter, not liking Game of Thrones. <laughs> Look, you guys have to understand that we basically don't like any series of anything except for this one. I <laughs> <laughs> substantiated enough. We provided evidence for all of, you know, the things we don't like about other series, I think. Yeah, there are reasons why we only like this series. <laughs> we can we can coherently argue a case for why you should like no other fantasy, sci-fi, or books in general. <laughs> right. On right. to the story. Yeah, so we move into the lesser evil, the story of how Geralt became the Butcher of Blaviken, as the knights were calling him. Um, So yes, this is our first Cats Hate Geralt mention. First sentence of this. Yeah, I I like that. As as usual, cats and children noticed him first, especially given in the TV series, the first person who talks to him is Marilka. And (laughs) here we've got cats. Yeah. Um, Yeah. (laughs) 
Um, I actually, yeah, I love actually everything about this intro. Like something we've talked about, about what we love about these books in the series is how real and lived in the world always feels. And just like him walking into town and they're like, at first, you know, cats and children noticed him first. And there's the kid who's described as like dirtying his already dirty shirt. And, and that's like, he starts crying when he sees him. And the way he describes it's... just like the smells of the harbor and the peasant trying to bribe the alderman. It's just like, it feels real and lived in right away. It's really atmospheric. He like sets the scene um, mm-hmm. with, you know, when you think about it, not that many words, but in a very kind of, you know, in a way you immediately feel like, you know, you can you can feel that atmosphere as Geralt's riding into town. Mm-hmm. Like, because, I mean, it isn't, it isn't that many words. It's only like three paragraphs, like three short paragraphs that describe how he rides in, how the cats and the children notice him first, how, like, you know, he rides just behind, like, you know, a very slow-moving wagon with hay. It's, it's great. It's just like, it's, it's, very efficient writing. Mm. Yes. And um, yeah, we sort of get him. He's trying to pawn off this Kikimura and um, not getting much luck for it, going to the aldermen and the aldermen saying, there's no reward for it. It's not off the main road. Why Why aren't you on the main road? You know, it's not much money to be made yeah. for witchers on the main road. <laughs> and they suggest just hucking it in the cesspool. Yes, something that I, I mean, I think we're gonna make probably a lot of show comparisons because this one hues fairly closely to episode one of the show. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it was really interesting is um, he doesn't seem to like the alderman who is Geralt's friend, incidentally, and this is a big difference from the show. Is Geralt seems to have loads of friends who are happy to see him. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> he does. He generally goes everywhere, and people know him. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> He said Alderman was like, oh, like, oh, Carol, I haven't seen you in two years. Like, good to see you. But um, yeah, when he was talking to the Alderman about the ki- the Kikimura, um, he's just like, oh, surely you must have noticed. Like, children must have gone missing. Like, it was near the dike. And the, the Alderman's just like, oh, well, you know, we didn't really notice. And I guess some people went missing, but... You know, we didn't think it was was anything serious, and I, I feel like that's possibly where the show got the inspiration for eh, Kikimura as their population control. <laughs> yeah i mean i mean this is this is a bit less like harsh than the tv series does it but 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 um it does still you know like have a have a situation of like you know well i mean a few people disappeared there but like you know we didn't think much of it there were a few (laughs) people going around by that dike and the alderman um Caldemain, he, 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 he through the story, displays a pretty callous disregard for human life, actually, in a kind of, like, incompetent way, as opposed to, like, a malicious way. I mean, like, he does and he doesn't, because I see why you say that, because he does kind of go, well, a few people vanish there, but, mm, like, mm. um, but, like, also at the same time, I mean, like, I, I got the impression through the story that this is a man who's, like, very focused on his work, which is just, you know, yeah. I'm the alderman of this town. I have specific duties. I focus on specific things. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody, nobody normally goes by that dike, so we don't think much of it. Hmm. Well, I will get back at you later <laughs> about this when we get further in the story. I, I, <laughs> I, 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 I honestly feel like it's le- less callous disregard for human life and more like he just focuses on very specific things. <laughs> and if it's not his job, it doesn't matter. Yeah, exactly, He's right? He's a tradesman. Like... <laughs> Bit of a job's yeah. worth. 
he's he's a skilled well not craftsman but like you know worker in his specific job so (laughs) (laughs) but anyway yes um they're proposing throwing the kikimura in the cesspit when one of the uh I guess town guards that's come in to, to help dispose of it says like, oh, the wizard Irian might have a use for some of the parts. Yes, so. So this is basically the same as the book in the sense that, you know, yeah, exactly. nobody wants to pay him, so take it to the wizard. Yeah, just without sassy Baralka. And uh, yeah, so naturally they go to the tower and um, Geralt falls out with the doorman until it's revealed that Geralt's a witcher. And they decide, ah, oh, okay, cool. Master Arian's probably going to be interested in you, even if he's not interested in the Kikimura. I mean, I think the doorman is the... is Irian, well, rather, as we find out since Stregobor. Yes. Like, yes. Um, yes. Stregobor is immediately like, oh, wait, this is Geralt the Witcher. Yes, you can come in, nobody else can, and get rid of the Kikimura. I don't want it. Because, because I, I figured, like, that the quote-unquote doorman is just Irian well Stregobor in a hood or something imitating another voice yeah imitating well, another no, voice yeah there is no doorman isn't it isn't it just like a like a speaking yeah we're, we're talking met- we're talking metaphorically yeah mm. <laughs> yeah but yes uh Stregobor Irian slash Stregobor decides to uh let Geralt in and we we get this sort of um sense of um the, the magic at work in this tower and actually I loved the way the tower was described even as they're approaching it about it being this like big granite tower like repaired with magic and it's contrasted with like the broken tiles of the homesteads around it, it just it was a great job with just like one sentence of showing us like the completely different world that mages live in from like ordinary people um and as he goes as Geralt goes into the tower uh, we get even more of this the door isn't real it was an illusion he steps through it and there's an orchard and rainbows and a naked lady carrying apples yes um I'm very, yeah yes. and he comes across like, I'm very good at illusions you can eat the apples you can taste the fruit and you can even and you know it, it yeah, offers Geralt yeah. the girl yeah 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 to which he fortunately refuses Unlike Geralt. Yes, very unlike Geralt. <laughs> I, I, I really, one of the, my favourite lines in this, and it really started to flag up to me that this is a really special writer, was when he was sort of talking about, you know, the Witcher had met thieves who looked like town councillors, councillors who looked like beggars, harlots who looked like princesses, <laughs> princesses who looked like calving cows, and kings who looked like thieves. But Stregobor always looked as, according to every rule and notion, a wizard should look. It's just brilliant like tolkien-esque <laughs> yeah. sort of wonderful jokey fantasy writing it's brilliant yes absolutely so stregobor and Geralt sit down to have a chat and stregobor explains why he is in hiding and that he's being hunted by his fate um and says that you know he is under threat of death and this is why he must hide under a fake name and why he's isolated in his tower and um gets really his nose gets really out of joint when Geralt just reacts to this as like okay whatever like what do you want with me Mm. (laughs) and Geralt actually gives him such a good little like god book Geralt loves a monologue Mm. um he gives Stregobor such a great monologue when Geralt Stregobor's like oh like I thought of you as a friend and you don't seem to care that I'm under a threat of death and Geralt just replies like that's the way of the world one sees all sorts of things when one travels two peasants kill each other over a field which the following day will be trampled flat by two counts and their retinues trying to kill each other (laughs) off men hang from trees on the roadside brigands slash merchants throats every step in town you 
trip over corpses in the gutters. In the palaces, they stab each other with daggers and somebody falls under the table at a banquet every minute, blue from poisoning. I'm used to it. So why should a death threat impress me? And one directed at you at that. (laughs) 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 I love your monologues. (laughs) I know. I love him. Uh, and Geralt also reminds Strykobor that he might think of him as a friend, but the Strykobor also basically was responsible for running Geralt out of Kovir without pay. So, and he help. had twelve hours to get out of the entire country. Um, yeah. <laughs> so um, we get the impression yeah. already that Strykobor <laughs> kind of sucks. <laughs> yeah. Like, and then and then Geralt laughs and like asks him what's what's like actually up, and then um, like. Stregobor gives a detailed explanation of his actual problem. Yeah, Curse of the Black Sun. Yes. Yes. We get a pretty contested version of it here, which I think is interesting. Um, it's less, it, like, there's basically almost every line is intercut with Geralt being like, no, you're full of shit, um, which is pretty great. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it's a, it's a great way of, like, exploring it as well, because, like, it's, it, like, um, Sapek is already, like, you know, um, this is like where where he establishes something that like will become fairly frequent in his books, which is like whenever there's like you know exposition of backstory, there's always someone to present a countering view of like that same event, like mm-hmm. from what from what you know the original storyteller is saying. Hmm. So. Stregobor begins starting to explain the curse of the Black Sun, and Geralt basically cut, cuts in and calls it the mania of mad. A- Eltabald, um, <laughs> before we even get Strykobor's side of the story, uh, and says, oh yeah, the mad- madness, or the mania of mad Eltabald that resulted in, like, dozens of girls being murdered or imprisoned in towers because of the most ordinary eclipse in the world. Um, so you already get a pretty good sense that this is, there's a, Stregobor's version is, is contested. Now, I took... At the very least, Geralt doesn't take it especially seriously. seriously. <laughs> um, but... Um, Stregobor says that, you know, Altabald wasn't mad and that he went and looked at Dauk, 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 Menhirs, um, and like the, the, the stories of the Wertots and then the Wazgore. And so I was like, oh, what are all of these? And I went and did like a little deep dive to find out what actually all of this was. I'm sure this is probably... They were mentioned exactly this one time in lore. <laughs> yeah, well... Well, they got expanded on in, like, some of the supplementary stuff. Um, yeah. Yeah. So... Like, comics and shit. But, but like, originally, this was the one mention. Yeah. Well, except that Tots is apparently the Bobolax, and that's just in the English translation sucks. Oh, um, yeah. of course. And they are only yeah. really mentioned in Road With No Return. Yeah. Um, and then sort of the expanded stuff is that the, 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 the dock and the Wazgor are like pre first landing humans that were either exterminated or interbred and the Wazgor are the people who worshiped Lilith. And then they were at war with the Bobolax. And that's maybe why the Bobolax like stories say that Lilith is like this demon that's going to destroy the world. Um, so there's, there's, there's sort of like supplementary stuff that's been added mm. since that I just thought was, was kind of interesting. And I think relative to the show it's interesting that like men here get mentioned because there's lots of standing stones all over the place in the show yes that are like related to like prophecy and stuff so i think this might have been where yeah. they pulled that that inspiration from yeah yeah anyway that was my little deep dive into like what is all of this 
<laughs> like a fun thing is admittedly that like if you if you disregard the fact that like a lot of that was like added on by comics um like this is like very fun you know like a very fun illustration of Sapkowski's attitude to world building where um he will basically just drop these names on you because this is like a sentence that makes sense like you know like he needs to like basically supply us with just you know one paragraph that explains how Eltebald you know like did his quote unquote research like uh and then and then he moves on from it there is no exposition because he doesn't care yeah <laughs> which then leaves the rest of us trawling through the wikis to make any sense of it <laughs> Yeah. I think I think that is uh, partly a good thing though because he's crediting the reader with enough intelligence that you know they're just okay these are characters talking about a world I don't have full understanding of. Yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. no it's it's good writing. It's like perfectly like good natural writing whereas like actual throwing an exposition of like fantasy races that apparently well you know they were clearly not important enough to to the story to be mentioned ever again but like um you know it's 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 good that was not a criticism it it was more just like an observation to like how he does it Mm -hmm. no I, i totally agree like a cool thing that does get established essentially for good in the next couple of sentences though is that when Stregobor suggests that, you know, like, Eltebald was not a madman, he did all this research, and he proved that, like, you know, um, this demon named Lilith will come, uh, and the human race will go extinct, and unless they unless they killed, you know, these 60 women who were born around the time of the eclipse. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Yes. Like that's a very convenient and broad definition, but okay. Like basically, then then Geralt like basically tells him that it's all bullshit and that like everyone knows that all you wanted to do was to break up like a bunch of like marriage alliances in line with like the political interests of the, of of the Council of Sorcerers and like, um, and and basically as he says like so it so it would be easier for you to like, um play with your royal puppets like um and and i like the the, this this is cool because this is like the first bit of the saga where we actually do get established that wizards play a huge role in the actual day-to-day politics of the king of the northern kingdoms Mm. Mm -hmm. like like this is this is where wizards are no longer just like um (laughs) Slightly foolish individuals who get called in to deal with a strigan provide no useful insight. Mm-hmm. Um, but <laughs> but like you know, actually quite politically influential personalities. Well, that as well, and the fact that like Stregobor is established as having been influential in kicking Geralt out of Kavir. Yes. Um. So this is where. When Geralt is calling bullshit, he also says the all decent predictions rhyme line, which I love it. He's such a sass queen. <laughs> um, but this is um, where it gets like really, really dark, and where like it goes from like okay, whatever, to just absolutely fuck Strugabor. Um When you know Geralt's calling bullshit, like none of this is real. You're just wanting to to you know mess around with marriage alliances and wind the strings of your puppets even tighter. Um, Stregobor replies that he was present at the autopsy of one of the 
the girls and gives like pretty disgusting specifics about the mutations and organs and things. Um, and, you know, Geralt sort of shrugs, Ugh, there's mutants all over the world. They're not necessarily bad. And then Stregobor replies that one of them was even vivisectioned. Yeah. Like an animal. Like. It's pretty uh, fucked up. Yeah. Yeah. Just that is revolting. So they're just, they're not just like kidnapping and imprisoning and killing girls. They are torturing them, basically, for being born at the wrong time to the wrong family. Um, and then, you know, Geralt challenges him on 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 how many mistakes they made. And, and Stregobor admits, yeah, we made mistakes more than one. So that's why we stopped trying to kill them and started putting them in towers instead, <laughs> which is like, okay, like that's so much better. <laughs> um, and... Dragwar's trying to bolster his case, names a few of the girls who escaped or weren't caught to begin with that are terrorizing the lands now, and you know, Geralt contested the contests this and points out that there's bad rulers everywhere who are who are mad and violent. And, you know, some of these girls did escape from imprisonment after being told that they were monsters and that they were going to be controlled their whole lives. And I mean, if that happened to me, I can't promise I wouldn't go on like a revenge <laughs> tear. What else like, are you gonna do? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Basically, it comes down to Geralt just saying, look, you're not going to win me over with your reasons. You're not going to convince me that Altabad wasn't just a murdering madman. Um, and then we get to the the specific reason that Stregobor is in hiding in his tower, um, which is... Shrike. That Shrike or Renfrey. So uh, this is where it becomes Snow White. Yeah. Um, Renfrey's stepmom, Eridea, has a magic mirror... <laughs> And instead of asking it whether she's the fairest in all the land, she asks basically what the greatest danger is. And it's apparently Renfrey. So she does the Snow White thing and sends a huntsman to go, you know, take care of it. Kill her. Yep. And instead, according to Stregobor, they find the huntsman killed with his pants down, which clearly he's raped her. And we get that confirmed later. But Stregobor seems to be trying to make it look like Renfrey seduced him and then killed him. Mm-hmm. Because Stregobor is an absolute shit. And um, Geralt doesn't buy it right from the yeah. outset because Geralt immediately goes like, I don't, I, you are mistaken if you think I'm like, you know, sorry for him. Yes, yeah. Yeah, good guy Geralt sees what's up. Um, and it becomes even more Snow White that Renfrey, you know, takes up with seven gnomes. Um, yes. And <laughs> I, I do. And, I did really uh, like the line that um, he puts in there. You know, of the mirrors, either being broken or very polite. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes, uh, yeah. Uh, just wants to pin everything on Renfrey. He claims that Renfrey somehow poisoned Eridea and Eridea's sons. Like, and I actually, I actually wanted to, t- I actually wanted to talk about this bit, right? Because, like, I mean. Okay, is it confirmed later in the story that she that she killed Aridea? Because like, um... no, later in the story she says that it's a shame that Aridea died in her bed because she had a special plan for. Yeah, her. I mean that's that's why I fucking thought because I was I was reading this bit and I was going like, how does that make sense? She's in Mahakam with a group of six dwarves, not exactly a massive army, like halfway yeah. across the world, and you know. Stregobor still wants us to believe that she somehow killed Aridea, and then her father, who like yeah. by all accounts was Loved actually decent. Was, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, this is I think neatly paralleled in the show when the show accuses her of killing the huntsman with her mother's brooch, and then the show sh- and leaving it in his ear, and then the show shows her wearing mm-hmm. that brooch, and it's like, well, she couldn't have murdered him with it and left it in his ear. Yeah, 
yeah. she's wearing it. So <laughs> Stregobor is so full of shit, I swear to God. Like Yeah, I mean the the book also contests whether she killed the huntsman as well, because she just said he raped me and let me go later. Yeah, yeah. 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 So Yeah. Um, it's, it's just the TV series straight up goes, yeah, no, she has the brooch, mate. Yeah. <laughs> it's obviously a lie. Like, like My conspiracy theory is that Eridea and Stregobor killed the Huntsman to cover up what they had tried to do after he let Renfri go, or to punish him for letting Renfri go. I can buy that. That's my... That's Frank- my uh, yeah. Frankly, knowing, knowing how much of a shit Stregobor is... I yeah. can actually, I can actually almost see a scenario where Stregobor kills the Huntsman to cover up to Ardea that like he fucked up. Well, I think what's interesting here is when Stregobor is telling Geralt the story here, he says, "Oh, I wanted to imprison Renfri, but Ardea went ahead without my permission and sent a Huntsman yeah, to but kill do Renfri." Yeah, we believe and literally then anything Stregobor well, says. No, 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 because Renfri later <laughs> says Stregobor and Ardea sent the Huntsman, and I believe. Renfri. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I believe Renfri here. Like, not gonna lie. <laughs> yeah, so st- I fully believe that Stragobor killed the Huntsman to cover up his role. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can buy this. Yeah, so basically Stragobor is trying to convince Geralt that Renfri is irredeemable. And he says that like he ran into her near Ma- Magham and she somehow knew about his role and he encased her in crystal, which is also extremely Snow White, like Disney Snow White gets put in the like crystal casket when she's poisoned. Oh, yeah. yeah. Um, <laughs> and then yeah. she's rescued by some idiot prince. <laughs> prince yeah. <laughs> yeah. So she gets encased in, ca- in, in, in crystal and gets, um, yeah. Rescued by some idiot prince whose kingdom she then takes over for a while. Um, yes. Um, and basically Stregobor is just, saying like look she's dangerous she's resistant to magic she's clearly a mutant she's you know managed to to convince people to 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 take let her take over kingdoms um you know she will kill so many more people you have to kill her because you're a witcher she's a monster that's your job and it would be the lesser evil and then Geralt gives his other great monologue the evil is evil Stregobor lesser greater middling it's all the same proportions are negotiated boundaries blurred i'm not a pious hermit i haven't done only good in my life but if i'm to choose between one evil and another then i prefer not to choose at all so we get our sort of like neutrality Geralt. yep mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I do like as well the so because it's picked up in the show and we just discussed it a lot the sort of ambiguity as to whether Renfri does have these powers to persuade people to join with her or whether she's just incredibly charismatic and incredibly powerful just as a force of personality which obviously comes across in the show as well she is like Mm -hmm. an amazing character um and it's Mm -hmm. kind of ambiguous here as well like she convinces a prince you know to let her join the kingdom and all that kind of thing yeah there is a line later in the story that that makes me think that she might have some abilities um it's when she's telling her men to leave Geralt alone that she gives an order and it says there was something very strange in Renfri's voice something associated with the red reflection of fire on blades the wailing of people being murdered the whinnying of horses and the smell of blood others must have had similar associations even Tavik's weather-beaten face grew pale and everybody just kind of obeys her after having the sense of horror when she's giving an order. Like Geralt's psychic projection against the um, Striga. Yeah. Yeah. 
Yeah, because when she says, basically, shut up, Sivril, immediately, and it's like, Sivril stopped laughing immediately, Geralt wasn't surprised, and then it gives that mm-hmm. in the boat. Yeah. So yeah, we, he's in the pub with these miscreants, <laughs> as the synopsis I'm reading describes them, a band of miscreants. And uh, mm-hmm. of course, as always happens to Geralt in a pub, there's threats of violence, because um, he's asking to see Shrike, and... Yes. Yeah, because this is where he goes straight after the meeting with Strykebor to try to, like, deal with this situation without violence. Yes, exactly. Except in this case, yeah. he doesn't meet Renfrey at the bar, um, drinking her way through the pub. Um, mm-hmm. He just meets her men, and it sort of progresses mm-hmm. from there quietly. <laughs> well. <laughs> and we get uh, how touchy Geralt is about his mom, because he walks in there and starts insulting the half-elf's mother. She's like, oh, well, I can see from you being mm. a half-elf that your mother walked through the woods by herself one too many times. And he's just like, oh, well, unlike you, at least I actually know my mother. And it sort of describes Geralt as, um, you know, his jaw tightens and uh, he gets a little bit obviously miffed by this gonna be gonna be level here Geralt deserved that one he kind yeah. of did he started the mom incite a racial hate crime yeah he yeah. basically did did a did a did a minor you know like racism so like <laughs> yeah exactly like, frankly i don't i don't know if you can even describe it as a microaggression it's just an aggression it's just like... an aggression it was literally you're a half elf so your mom must be a slut like <laughs> <laughs> your 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 mom must be a slut who walked through woods too many times. Yeah, yeah. Which, like he deserved to be told. Well, at least I know who my mother is for that. So yeah, he, he got his comeuppance. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so things are turning pretty nasty with um, Geralt and the miscreants, and uh, then Renfrey comes in and does her powerful command thing mm-hmm. and calms everybody down. Um, and Geralt's got the alderman Caldemain there with him and they're trying to talk her into going to like a tribunal or something instead of this revenge They're trying to, to convince her to pursue pursue this in a court Go of to law. an A-class mediation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but Renfri is like, no, and has this letter guaranteeing her sort of like safety and protection from King Audwin. Is that how that's pronounced? Audwin? Who knows? Who knows? Doesn't really get mentioned It's fantasy names. (laughs) Are we going for like Elven tradition or like Dutch tradition where it'd be Audun? Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, there's no dots on the E, right? So maybe it isn't Audwin. I don't know. (laughs) Um, Like... If it if there were if there were two dots on the e that would be Odoyin. Odoyin. Yeah, that's true. So that's yeah. that's probably yeah. not it. Yeah. Look, doesn't matter. Like <laughs> it's conlang. It's um, a weird conlang. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, what I thought was interesting is this letter refers to her as the princess of Creighton. So he's like recognizing her claim. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, admittedly, right. Everyone else is dead. So like you know, it's entirely possible. Like. That, you know, in the background, uh, before the story happened, between when she took over some kingdom in the east and got expelled from there, and when this story happens, Renfri actually just returned home and was like, hey, I'm technically the rightful heir. Well, yeah, it's, it's misspelled, <laughs> but she's got the seal, so it's entirely possible she butchered him, took his seal, put it on the letter, <laughs> and wrote it out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be the Stregobor interpretation, for sure. Yeah. But, like... 
but like you know you'd think that people would have noticed um, as the gang was dead. Yeah. Like, I think it's entirely likely yeah. that she might be the <laughs> real actual princess of Craden now because yeah everyone at this else time is dead. yeah <laughs> there, there, there is no reason why she yeah, shouldn't exactly. be like yeah. you know like um there is there is something worth saying here that like I do I do sort of like you know um like I I do sometimes think about this bit because like because I go like but technically speaking right like red free you clearly have like a fucking 20 in charisma <laughs> like you you convince everyone to get li- to do pretty much everything you want from them like I feel like she would probably do quite well in a court of law where the where you know like basically the ultimate judge was King Odin himself who gave mm. her this you know like letter of recommendation saying that everyone should respect Saint her. Arta realistically Arta. speaking, <laughs> <laughs> realistically speaking, she could she could fuck Stregobor up in a court of law. She really like, ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but she wants vengeance, not justice. That's the difference, I suppose. Right, so um, we also get her saying uh, something that comes out, like, after this, obviously, Geralt gets called the Butcher Blaviken. But we all, and then a fun mm-hmm. sort of foreshadowing of that is um, Renfrey objecting strongly to being called Strike, uh, Shrike. Like, don't call me Shrike. Yeah. Um, I don't like it. Yes. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, that's, that's actually, yeah, that is an interesting parallel to how Geralt will be dogged by the Butcher of Blaviken title for years and years. Yeah, he, he uses um, it to scare people, and people use it to make people fear him, just as she was dubbed Shrike. Is she referred to as Shrike in the show episode? I don't think she no, is. No, they never refer to no, her as Shrike. That's interesting. No. Yeah, I think they maybe thought the whole, like, impaling people on spikes thing might have been a bit... <laughs> 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 Unsympathetic, perhaps? <laughs> Like, see, the 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 um the nickname Shrike, I think, is genuine because, like, at one point she does basically say that she hates it. Like, she wouldn't have like she would have a slightly different reaction if it was completely made up by Stregobor. Like, he would have he would have like she she would have said things like, "Why are you calling me that?" If she had yeah. never heard mm. heard that nickname. Mm-hmm. I think when we get into the next scene, we get. A sense that whatever else Renfrey is, she does have quite violent tendencies. No, I totally buy that yeah. she fucked some kingdoms up. That's yeah. a completely believable idea. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah, she probably did impale someone on a spike. Yeah, realistically speaking, at some point, you know, I mean, yeah. look, whomst in this in this universe has not, in a fit of rage, impaled someone on a spike. I respect the sentiment and the use of the word whomst. <laughs> I'm just laughing because like you were tweeting about the yeah. like, earlier. What's so, like, me? You doing it on purpose? I have ironically used the word though. I'm sorry. It's just a good word. Hell yes. <laughs> yes, I love it. Um. So yeah, we get another divergence from the story immediately after this because Geralt doesn't just leave; he goes to sleep in the attic. Um. And. Yes. Renfrey turns up. Yeah, he leaves, goes home, has dinner, and then goes up to his attic room in Caldemain's house. Mm. Um, and as he walks into the attic, Renfrey's in his bed. <laughs> yeah, subtle. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so like they have a little sexy fight. She hides. She hides in his bed, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, yeah, they have a little sexy fight where he's like got his like arm on her neck and has her pinned to the bed, and she's all like, "Well, like we can just stay here if you want to." <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to take my boots off at least. <laughs> <laughs> God, I love Renfrey. I know, I love her so much. Probably in more ways than one. Anyway, um... Yeah, oh god. (laughs) You guys have to stop, like, making my brain blue screen. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Yeah, so now Geralt gets the her side of the story, really. Um, And her describing her um, pretty miserable ordeals and even going to the detail of, you know, she used to have long silken hair down to her backside. So did I, funnily enough. Until she cut it all off because she got lice with sheep shears. Where, yes, uh, Renfrey's talking yes. about Stregobor and the king's wife wanting to kill her and her getting poisoned by an apple, of course. And being yes. ser- saved by so a gnome I... and an emetic. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, she's telling her side of the story that Stregobor was part of the plot to send the huntsman, uh, that sh- she didn't kill the huntsman, that he raped her and robbed her and let her go um she's angry at aridea for dying in her own bed instead of being able to exact her revenge um and i think this is this is really interesting because so much of what stregobor is doing with like trying to if we take the most charitable possible interpretation that Geralt that, that stregobor is genuine in his belief in the curse of the black sun then it is quite a it feels like Stregobor is trying to put some kind of order on a fundamentally chaotic and dangerous world. Like, this is a dangerous world where people get sick and die and are killed. And, and that's what, you know, what Geralt says, like, people kill each other all the time. What is so special about about this? Um, and it feels like Stregobor is like... If, if you buy what Stregobor says about genuinely believing the curse of the Black Sun, which is... A massive if. As I said, the most um, charitable possible interpretation. Yeah, if you buy it. Well, the prophecy does say that the it'll cause the end of the world. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Like, for what it's worth. Yeah. Theoretically. The thing is, um, I was going to say, the thing is, I don't really believe him. <laughs> like, <laughs> <laughs> No, I'm inclined to believe that it's what Geralt says, that the, the, the mages are just trying to wrap uh, the, the, the royalty around their fingers even more tightly. Yeah, I think I think it's entirely possible. By the way, that you know, when it comes to when it comes to the fucking Eltabald explanation and Lilith and everything, well, I mean, um, like I think it's what what Stregobor is doing there is basically reciting to Geralt the usual propaganda line mm-hmm. to basically like you know like the the the. the <laughs> You know how the Council of Sorcerers operates in this world. They probably have a Q and A list somewhere <laughs> where they're basically they're basic they basically just go if you if you, if you are asked you know young wizards any questions about the curse of the Black Sun and the Council's response to it this is what you say you know press training like <laughs> like like I it really smelled like that to me yeah. I was just, I was just saying, there's like something about the way that Stregobor wants to blame Renfrey for everything that, if you interpret it at its most charitably, feels a lot like the whole um, Livia did it theory of Roman history. 
<laughs> like it's a fundamental. I do not get that reference, but okay. Um, um, Augustus's <laughs> wife Livia is like blamed for like you know like every single one of Augustus's Julian heirs died, and you ended up with Emperor Tiberius, who's a Claudian, aka Livia's son, not by Augustus. Sure. There's like basically like just tons and tons and tons of heirs just like mysteriously died, and people contemporaneously and historians just we were like oh well Livia must have poisoned them Livia and it gets like more and more and more contrived the further the way they were away from Livia but like Livia must have killed them that's what she must have done that's the only way thing that makes sense is a way to like try to put order on a fundamentally like chaotic and dangerous world that you can't control to be like oh, there's this one evil woman who is the person who caused all of this chaos yeah. as opposed to like having to accept that the world is actually just that chaotic and dangerous I like I like how you're how you're using the language like of of Geralt e- explaining why he thinks people believe in destiny when you say putting <laughs> putting order in a fundamentally chaotic world like, that, <laughs> like TV series Geralt specifically is that that it's really good I uh, yeah he lives in my head rent free hey. so <laughs> rent free. <laughs> Uh, oh gosh <laughs> red free scent certainly lives in my head <laughs> she like, sure does um, <laughs> behave don't make me get the, the, the squishy bottle yeah, cold water cold water <laughs> cold water right right guys focus focus okay freaking quarantine um, yeah <laughs> look look in my in my defense I've had a crush on Renfrey since I was 16 <laughs> Like, and I first read this short story. So, That's a you know. Barn. Yeah, I've only had a like, crush on her since December, so you win. <laughs> I, I was, it is interesting, like, the lines that they picked out of dialogue from this to put into the show. Like, you know, when she's talking about, you know, I, when I cut my finger, I bleed. I bleed every month, too. I don't think that was in the show. Um, I get bellyache when I overeat and hungover when I get drunk. When I'm happy, I sing and I swear when I'm sad. When I hate someone, I kill them. Um, it, it's interesting. Um, yeah. Yeah, because that's when he asks her, you know, after all of this explanation about what, what happened to her, when he asks her, you know, well, are you a monster? And you know, it's just like, how am I supposed to know? <laughs> what I really liked that came after that is um, she tries to convince Geralt to kill Stregobor um, and uses the same reasoning Stregobor gave Geralt, which is that it's the lesser evil but she, I think, has a better answer to his refusal to engage with the lesser evil than Stregobor does. Um, because she says, you know, re the lesser evil, she says, you don't believe in it. You say, well, you're right in a way. Only evil and greater evil exist. And beyond them in the shadows lurks true evil. True evil, Geralt, is something you can barely imagine. Even if you believe, nothing can still surprise you. And sometimes true evil seizes you by the throat and demands that you choose between it and another slightly lesser evil. So I think that's like actually a much more sophisticated approach to the question of lesser evil. Yeah, it's just that, the grown-up you know, answer. Yes, you're right. You cannot choose a lesser evil, but true evil can force you to choose between greater evil and evil. Yeah. And again, it's... Ah! Yeah. Sapex dialogue is one of his best... Like, his fight scenes is, and his dialogue, I think, are two of the things he's best at. Because And his just, like, capacity to grapple with, like, pretty 
serious moral questions and the way we think about them mm. is like my other favorite thing about him and he gives it to characters who even yeah. this is like renfrey in the grand scheme of the witcher in the books at least is a minor character in the tv show she is formative and enormous but in the books relatively minor but here she's given a really fundamental and really massively important observation to him of you know mm-hmm. this your entire viewpoint of the world is kind of misguided because you're assuming that sometimes you can just not choose whereas in reality there's always something forcing you to choose whether you want to or not and that's yeah in the context of which that's really important mm-hmm. like yeah because this is pivotal yeah. because Geralt's struggle with like his desire to maintain neutrality where neutrality is as we often say in the real world like neutrality is choosing the side of you know just the momentum of the world right mm. it's not it's not there's no such thing it's yeah, it is choosing the side of who has fa- who has power. Mm-hmm, exactly. And so it's really, then this is something that is repeated over and over and over again through the series, is Geralt having to, to grapple with having to make these choices when the idea is that he shouldn't be involved at all. Yeah. 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 Like, on which note we should probably mention before we go further that... Uh, Something Redfree mentions during this is uh, uh, that um, there are certain ways in which she in- intends to convince Stregobor to come outside of his tower. Yes. Um, for instance, as she says, there are arguments you cannot say no to. There are proposals you cannot reject. For instance, the Tridum ultimatum, um, which she says she's going to offer to Stregobor. Um, and that's... it's it, um, Geralt asks her what Tridham Ultimatum is, and she basically responds with, um, that's my personal secret. Mm. Yes. And that's <laughs> important, because in about a moment, we will find out what it is. Yes. Like, yeah. yeah. Before that, they have, like, there's just a bit more, yeah, chat about the violence she's endured, um, and the first time she ever enacted vengeance, which is when she was quite young and had um, been beaten and raped by some um i guess it was a farmer or something took her in. and um she says you know when she when she cut that man's throat that she felt she just felt amazing and um every single time she's taken vengeance since then it has felt amazing and you know we're left with this this question of whether that's evidence of her sort of monstrous nature or if that's just trauma i mean honestly i'll be even blunter frankly i mean is a fact that some humans in our world have enjoyed killing. Yes, without being mutants or like, destined or... <laughs> yeah, like, no magical power was influencing that. There was just, you know, something wrong with them. Well, I mean, also, like, she killed her rapist. Like, of Well, yeah, that she... as well, That'd right? Probably like, pretty great. Good. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> like th- I mean, honestly, like, a lot of people, like though most people probably have not experienced the specific vengeance of killing somebody, but like a lot of people derive happiness from vengeance, like you know, for really shitty things done to them. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, completely. Like I, I don't, I don't, I don't think it's it's abnormal to feel happiness at revenge. No, no, that's pretty basic, if dark human stuff. Yeah, yeah, like. Yeah, there's a there's an interesting moment just after that, where she mm-hmm. starts doing prophecy. No, like she enters yes. a trance. Yes, yeah. So Geralt's been fiddling with his medallion the whole time they've been talking. 
and it's spinning and sort of that sort of sort of sets her off into like a meditative state. Yes. Oh, yeah. There, yeah, yeah, I pity you. You claim a lesser evil doesn't exist. You're standing on a flagstone running with blood alone and so very lonely because you can't choose, but you had to and you'll never know. You'll never be sure if you were right and your reward would be a stoning and a bad word. I pity you. Oh. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh gosh, and the the last line of it too, and when when he says, and you know, he replies to her and says, "And you?" And she says, "I can't choose either." He asks her, "What are you?" "I am what I am." Ooh. Yeah. And then and then where are you? I'm cold. Ooh. Yeah. Oh, shivers. <sighs> but um, Geralt realizes what's happening, and he he you know stops and he stops his medallion spinning, and she snaps out of it. And she says that he's one that she'll leave Blaviken forever in the morning, which is the same ambiguous kind of line the show gives. She doesn't say she won't do it. She just says she'll leave forever. Um, and then, uh, much like the show, they... Um, they bang. Yeah. They're trying to find a <laughs> nice way of saying that. <laughs> not really. <laughs> it's, not, it's, not a, it's not one for the ages. Um yeah, no, it's just literally just like, she's like, okay, well, I'm saying that. And he's like, all right, it's not really, there's no scene. <laughs> I mean, they exchanged some pretty, like, decent banter there. I'm not going to lie. But like, yeah, it, th- then they just cut. Yeah. Is this cambric? Of course it is. Damn it, am I a princess oh, or not? Oh, yes, of course. <laughs> 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 oh, yeah, that line's great. <laughs> uh... Had to Google uh, what Cambric was, which which I genuinely think is more evidence that like she might have like literally picked up the throne at some point. Yeah, <laughs> indeed. Or she just made enough money from banditing, because that's that's something we get in like Time of Contempt that bandits all love fancy clothes. Mm. I mean, it's a lucrative trade, mm-hmm. so to speak. <laughs> yes. Um, so then. Um. <laughs> This is not a pro. This is this is not a pro highwayman podcast. <laughs> uh, just so we're clear, pro-hembo, just a pro one. Pro hembo, anti highwayman. Um, yes, anti highwayman. <laughs> shout out to shout out to my my mutual Nathan Ma for writing an amazing article about hembos um, recently. Oh yes. What websites are on? I feel I should give <laughs> yeah. it a shout out. Um, it was on the. It was on I Vice, it wasn't it? Been. Yeah. It was on Vice. Yeah. ID.vice. Yeah. yeah. It's phenomenal article yeah. summarizing the issue of a himbo. So shout out to shout out to them. Um Yes. So they're in um the Alderman's house and Morelka, who in this story is not a sassy sixteen year old who murders puppies, is just like a wee girl who wants to go to the market. Mm. And this is where we find out what the trade of ultimatum is. Yes. It's a yeah. it's a hostage situation. <laughs> It basically is a mass hostage situation. (laughs) Yes. So basically, one of Renfri's men has been identified by the alderman's sort of guards as Mm. having been present um, at this... The half-elf. The half-elf, yeah. Yeah. Having been present at this incident uh, in which a bunch of hostages were taken on a ship and um, the baron of the region was basically blackmailed as by the fact that he started murdering hostages into basically giving them what they wanted yeah kind of die hard um yeah basically yeah so it's basically die hard except with no uh no mclean Mm. and um 
<laughs> so Geralt realizes what this all means and puts two and two together. Uh, and this is, okay, this is where I was saying that the Alderman kind of has another moment of disregard for human life. Because he's like, oh, but we can't intervene because she's got the letter and I'll just get in trouble with the king and I don't want to lose my job. And It's like she's going to slaughter a market full of people. <laughs> yeah. And, um... And then, yeah, and Geralt's like, yeah, like, she's she's going to slaughter a market full of full of people. And he's like, oh, well, we can't do anything until she starts killing people. And he's like, we have to stop them now before it gets crowded. <laughs> like, admittedly, I think it's partly just because, like, like, Coldabane is, like... Geralt is not exactly providing why he thinks that she'll pull the Trudem ultimatum on them. Like, it's, like, 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 he doesn't mention the quite important fact that, like... Redfree actually specifically said to him that that's what she's going to offer. What's his face? That's true. Strangle Geralt's board. in a bit of a panic and isn't really being clear. Yeah, he's he's literally just saying words. So like Geralt is like drawing his sword and running out the door. So like, I think it's fair enough for Caldebain to be a little bit confused as to what's happening. Mm. <laughs> like, like especially because Geralt starts using language that like you know is a little bit like out of the George W. Bush vocabulary. We like, have to take like, the like, lesser um, evil. <laughs> no, like I was actually gonna say they need to be neutralized now while oh. the marketplace <laughs> is still empty. Yeah. It's like it's borderline, borderline. We don't negotiate with terrorists, kind of stuff. <laughs> like. <laughs> um, <sighs> yes. Um, and I mean, like, I understand. I, I, I like, I, I, I do think that Caldebate is perhaps like not reacting with enough concern <laughs> to this situation. But like, also, admittedly, like, you know, he, as Alderman, he must have seen like lots of quite bandity people pass through Tyner one at one point or other and cause essentially no trouble. Mm -hmm. So like, it is possible that like, you know, he's just for various contextual reasons not really understanding why Geralt, why Geralt is panicking yeah. well he even like, apparently fair. says we have to take the lesser evil I mean come on <laughs> it's, it's yeah. not very subtle <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean he, he starts from drawing his sword like <laughs> it's a bit of a wild reaction I will give you that <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's, it's justified but just you know no <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Um, so we cut to Geralt arriving at the market where he sees uh, Renfri's men uh, standing around talking. And as he approaches, he does the, um, so as he approaches the, the half-elf, um, cocks the crossbow and delivers a message um, that says, so Renfri's message to Geralt is, I am what I am, choose either me or a lesser. You're supposed to know what it means. God, that's harsh, isn't it? Because Renfrey gave this whole monologue about how the only thing that can force you to choose a lesser evil is true evil. And she's saying, choose me or a lesser. Yeah. It's different from the... Yeah. Um, well, it's similar, but different from the TV show. In the show, they're in an alleyway. And in this, he's just mm -hmm. wandered into the market. And they're already kind of sizing yeah, it up. Yeah. Whereas in the show, it kind of... There isn't the... The explanation of the ultimatum... There, sorry, mm -hmm. what she's actually doing—it's just yeah. This was this was the one thing in which I which I think the episode needed, mm -hmm. which was an actual explanation of the Tridham ultimatum. Mm -hmm. Because in the show, you get you get this impression, 
you all, you you genuinely get this impression as though like a fuck some sort of fucking misunderstanding happened. Yeah. Like because it's never made clear that Renfri was about to slaughter the town until Stregobor came out. Yeah. yeah. Instead, it just looks like they're maybe going to try and assassinate him or assassinate Geralt and let her kill him rather than them being about to do mass yeah. murder. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like, admittedly, I will say one thing, which is that, like, in this in this scene, Geralt also uh, like takes a very George W. approach because, like, he doesn't he doesn't, for instance, try to convince Redfree's band with his threatening face and voice <laughs> to not do them. this. <laughs> no, he just he just goes right for them. To like, be fair. <laughs> He doesn't actually do anything until they fire the crossbow at him and he deflects the bolt. Yes. Yes, but also, like, I mean, there is a there is a vast gap of like actions between, um, you know, you could have like, used heliotrope, deflecting you attacks on yourself. You could have used Igni. Like, like, I mean, there, there, it's just, it's just there is a vast, there is a vast, like gap of response between deflecting an attack on yourself and just massacring the whole band right there. Yes, which is what he does. He does the absolute badass thing and just, like, tears through them. It's like four paragraphs and he just wipes them all out. Um, yeah. yeah, like, and and, and you do and you do sort of go, like, you know, um, like, you know, like, all I'm saying is I'm not convinced this sort of total brutal, as he put it, neutralization <laughs> was actually necessary. <laughs> Possibly not. <laughs> like, come on, Geralt. You def like don't tell me that Geralt couldn't have just, you know, well, functionally disabled them in a way that wasn't as permanent. Yes. <laughs> <sighs> like I, I refuse to believe that Geralt is only skilled specifically is only is only a skilled sword sword fighter when he intends to kill and never else. <laughs> well, he does. Um, he now, beats course... up, He threatens to beat up one of the guys with the flat of his sword, and um, the last one, he's he can clearly pacify people without. Yeah. Yeah. Their throat open. <laughs> like, and of course, like, but. Like they here he repeats his entire Striga story thing where he just massacres a group of people. To be fair, <laughs> like, at least this was at least because he believed they were gonna slaughter a town. In the Striga story, it was just like he was annoyed with them in a bar. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it was it was it was not just that he was annoyed, he was trying to send them send a message. Yes. <laughs> like, I think to be fair, we don't know the age they... of him in the Striga story in the books. He could still be quite a, a very young mm-hmm. witcher. Um, and this could have been him well, very early. I mean, it's also the first story, um, and it was just supposed no, to be like a Conan because, parody, because, and like, it... <laughs> like, like out of character, you can explain it like through the Conan parody yeah. thing. But in terms of age, he's not young there, and we know that because Faultist already figures in the story, and in the in the novels, Faultist is, is later refer, referred to as about. Ah, uh, of course, that's true. But in um, that is about yeah, thirty. So, so, it so, can't so have been... yeah. Geralt is in the second half of his life in the Stryker story. Like, I think the show placed it really well in the the chronology in terms of being after he's already met Dandelion slash Yasker. I mean, he almost started. I mean, yeah. we actually know mm-hmm. that he it was after he's already met and been friends with him yeah. for years because because um, he visits him in the voice of like, reason and. He, 
Yeah, yeah, and the voice of reason is directly after the Striga story. Yeah. So. so we actually, as you, as you say, like he had other options in terms of not slaughtering all these people. And we actually get some dialogue that suggests that this was maybe unnecessary because Renfrey enters the market and says, you've made your choice. Are you sure it's the right one? And Geralt responds that this won't be another tritum. And she says, it wouldn't have been. Stregobor laughed in my face. He said I could butcher Blaviken in the neighboring villages and he wouldn't leave his tower. And that he won't let anyone in, not even you. So she's saying, like, it wouldn't have been because I know Stregobor wouldn't have come out. It is worth saying that, like, are we really certain that, like, Renfri wouldn't have at least tried to kill a few to see what happens? <laughs> I mean, maybe. We only have her word to go for. And when he says this can't be another, or this won't be another tridom, she says it wouldn't have been. That's all we have to go on. So there's at least a glimmer of a chance that this might have been the wrong choice. Because, I mean, I, I, totally, I totally buy that, that Stregobor's response was, ha, I don't give a shit. Like, yeah. but, like, but, 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 um, it's just, like... She doesn't know that. Yeah. Like, so so technically, if you look at it from the perspective of attempting to get Stregobor out at any cost, mm-hmm. and I, I would like to note that I'm not making a case for murdering a market full of people here, <laughs> um, but, like, but like, from the perspective of attempting to get him out at any cost... There is perhaps an argument that, like, you know, realistically, she probably would have tried to at least kill a few to see if that definitely doesn't happen. Like, it's quite possible she would have stopped very soon. Like, <laughs> um, but, you know, we only have and this line about and there wouldn't have been to go on. Yeah. You know. Yeah. But despite everything else, Geralt's still trying to convince her to leave without a fight. He tries to use Axie on her. It doesn't work. She says that it doesn't affect her. And he, he warns her, you know, go, if we cross blades, I won't be able, you know, he's trying to say he won't be able to stop. And she says, she knows, but she can't do anything else. We are what we are, you and I. Yeah. And then there's the, uh, yeah. the yeah. fight. And he catches her on the inner thigh with, her, with his sword sweeping up. And she... Mm-hmm. Like she predicted the night before, curls up in a ball and, oh yeah. Oh god, this this bit where she begs him, you know, don't go. She moaned, curling up in a ball. I'm cold, Geralt, hold me. Uh, and she turned her head, resting her cheek on the flagstones, and was still just like. And he's like stepped back this whole time. And you're thinking, oh gosh, Geralt, that's that's cold. But then as she sort of flops over, she was concealing a dagger. Yeah. 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 Like even in the TV show, yeah. they didn't do something like that. I don't think it's. Yeah, yeah. He like fell into. She yeah. fell into his arms in the show, yeah. right? And then he, she went to stab yeah, him. Yeah. He counters with her own blade, the ruby dagger. Yeah, yeah. And then like as she's dying, he's holding her, and she's prophesying in the show. He doesn't leave her writhing on the. Yeah. Pavement. I'm not sure which is alone. worse, actually, because <laughs> he's because you know in the show they can't they're just still fighting, and he kills her with her own blade. It's like him countering her. Yeah. Whereas in this, yeah. it's. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just just her like writhing on this pavement, cold alone. It's just so oh, oh Renfrey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, and then Stregobor comes running down. He says he saw it all in his crystal ball, um, and uh, he wants to autopsy her. And uh, Geralt tries to stop him. And I think what's really interesting is the way this is phrased. 
when Geralt tries to stop him. It's like he's dissociating from the trauma of what's just someone happened. Someone else. So like, someone the Witcher didn't know found the hilt of his sword and drew it. Touch a single hair of her head, said the person the Witcher didn't know. Touch her head and yours will go flying to the flagstones. Yeah. That, yeah. that It's really subtle. Um, and I don't know how it would come across mm-hmm. in other languages. Because <laughs> obviously every language is mm-hmm. second person, third person, very different. But this is, yeah, it's, it's very deliberate. Uh, like it's 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 it 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 sounds more more bluntly threatening than anything else in the Lithuanian translation. Yeah. <laughs> is is it the like, thing of the someone like... the Witcher didn't know? Mm? The phrasing of someone the Witcher didn't know found the hilt of his sword. Is that phrasing the same? Oh, uh, yeah. yeah, yeah. That that is there. Like, like it's it's more the light about the flat about the flagstones was basically just it, it it's. It sounds more bluntly threatening in the Lithuanian translation. Uh, yeah, because <laughs> well, yeah, it's kind of passive yeah. in English. You know, your touch her head yeah. and yours will go flying. Yeah, yeah. I think it's ju- I think it's just a very like 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 passive language can be can be more intimidating in in Slavic and Baltic mm. languages. <laughs> um, is trying to make a case to Geralt that allowing him to do the autopsy will relieve Geralt's guilt. Yeah, you'll never know. Um, Stregobor's- yeah, Stregor says, we don't do the autopsy, you'll never know. You know, if we do do it, we'll find the mutations and you'll know that you made the right choice, basically. But that's Stregobor still sort of assuming that Geralt has internalized Stregobor's view that if she's a mutant, she's inherently evil. Which, obviously, Geralt, a mutant himself, <laughs> is not going to... Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I think, I think on the Geralt's part, Geralt just doesn't give a shit. Yeah. Like, um... I think it is interesting because this bit was cut from like the show, right? Like, like it doesn't, it isn't, it isn't made into such a big deal that like, um, that you'll never know if she was a mutant. Yeah, yeah. Or am I misremembering? No, that wasn't that was wasn't that? in the show. Carol does try does do the touch a single hair of her headline, but it's very much about like, yeah, yeah. his relationship with yes, Humphrey that's as a what person, I thought. Not about. It's it's basically Geralt, Geralt like you know tries to get Stregobor to back away from the body period yeah rather than like yeah um rather than because he uh, because because Stregobor wants to autopsy her yeah. like yes yeah that that's how I thought it was and I think that's interesting because like um here here in this bit it does it does hint at at least like a little bit of feeling that like um. I mean, obviously, consensus consensus is that Stregobor is an absolute cunt, but like, um, <laughs> like complete arsehole. Like, but um, but like, I think it's it's um, interesting that like here it maybe does hint that he at least like bought into the idea of all those mutations and Eltabolds, like you know, prophecy and all that bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, like on some level, mm-hmm. um, I still don't understand to what level he believes in it because I think that you know how do you put this? We also know that Stregobor is a very self-serving man. Like we know this. This is a man who did not give a shit about the lives of an entire village. Um, <laughs> like this is a man who you know basically kicked Geralt out of a kingdom just because he wanted to deny deny him some pay, like. This is not a good person. Like no. this is, and not just not not just not a good person, but also a, but also a self-serving person. Mm-hmm. So I don't really buy this entire thing that like 
he thought that he that, that he did it like you know solely because he was concerned about the fate of the continent and all that. Yeah. Um, like, but but he does seem at the very least interested mm-hmm. in like whether the mutations are real. Mm-hmm. And I I think maybe you know like this is perhaps like seeing a little bit more into it than actually is in the text but i think maybe that theory we had when we were talking about the tv show episode that was based upon this that um he wanted to autopsy her because he wants to extract the mutation for his own ends mm-hmm. just sounds so believable when you consider you know the fucking sorcerers of this universe and all the shit well, they get up to well specifically yeah, sure. what vilgefortz wants from siri yeah. Eventually, yeah. And there are, there are a lot of, indeed, parallels in terms of what... Like, I mean, we all noticed that Renfri is also a source, right? By virtue of her being able to suddenly enter a trance yeah, and yeah. prophesy. Yes. Stregobor says that's a mutation that's just common in girls who are born under the curse of the Black Sun. But yeah, that is more of a source. Yeah. yeah. So I think that's interesting. Like, um... What's also, what's also interesting about the way it ends is um, in the TV show, sort of Stregobor riles up the crowd and then they throw him out. Whereas in this, the alderman's kind of sad about it. He's sort of like, is this, you know, why have you done this? Please leave and don't come back. After the crowd have obviously been throwing rocks at him kind of off their own accord. But he's just, Calderman's actually really sad. What's really rich is that Stregobor, who got Geralt basically exiled from Kovir, is like, hey, I'm going back to Kovir, I'm not staying this whole another day, come with me. If you don't come with me, this village is just going to turn on you, because all they've seen is you kill and kill nastily. Um, so, like, really, Stregobor, you're trying to, after you're trying to convince Geralt to come with yeah. you to Kovir, of all places? To Kovir, of, of all places! <laughs> um, and that's when the stone yeah. starts. But then, yeah, Kaldemain, um comes in and... And he's just, he just seems horrified by everything that's happened. You know, he says, is this how your lesser evil looks? Is this what you believed is necessary? And just the way Geralt replies, yes, replied Geralt slowly with an effort. Mm. Like, oh. Um, but then, yeah, Caldemain, yeah, does seem very sad about, you know, you know, Geralt, don't come back, never come back. And I think that, that was played well with Morelka as well in the, in the show is she's, you know, her eyes are red and she looks quite upset. When she says that to him, that 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 with effort line is an example of like um, how like difficult it is to translate like Slavic languages into English because the Lithuanian translation, which I assume is like slightly more accurate just by general similarity, being higher between the two languages, like it goes something like, "Yes, he, Geralt answered not immediately." through force like basically like oh, forcing that kind himself of goes a lot like, more with the violence of it that's interesting that's mm. a subtle but really interesting um linguistic difference yeah like i i i mean i think it's mostly just because it's difficult to translate that sort of phrasing into english mm-hmm. um just because like it's not phrases that are used naturally in english but yeah um like but i think yeah like i mean the reason why here it's very visibly the crowd of their own accord is because this short story, let's be blunt here, like among all the other points that it tries to make, uh, it is also a short story about how in this universe you can be a hero 
and be never acknowledged for it and in fact despised for it mm-hmm. like like the point is that um for lack of a better word the ordinary people are stupid and they won't recognize <laughs> what Geralt does for them <laughs> Uh, I was just gonna say that it taps into once again the idea of Geralt as the typical as the archetypal neoliberal businessman. <laughs> like um, the foolish like mob wants to like you know like 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 considers you know him this like you know um, demonic figure when he's actually saving them. You see. Yeah, and I think that's something. <laughs> like like Sorry. is. Like it, it's 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 it 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 taps into like how how. Sapkowski thinks about like, you know <laughs> Well He's an economist. <laughs> <laughs> He's a nineties Polish economist, like <laughs> Um and I think this is something that we talked about we talked about this in the wrap up episode of the season one wrap up episode about um the the problem with one of the problems with Witchers is they tend to be around when bad things are happening because that's kind of their job and they get associated with the bad things and that this is something that is somewhat common in fantasy in terms of like the way Gandalf gets treated in in Rohan as being sort of like a a constant harbinger of bad news. And this actually gets brought up in the the Voice of Reason section of this reading um, that one of the things the knights accuse Geralt of is that witchers are always bringing trouble and... That is again, it's just this people are stupid thing. You can be a hero, but because you're always around when there's trouble, people associate you with the trouble. It's basically, uh, like the the idea is that people are stupid. <laughs> like, um, yeah. Like, and it, it is quite upsetting because it, like, 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 um, some of the most viscerally upsetting bits of the Witcher lore, the Witch and the Witcher saga are when. <laughs> When someone does something good, and well, you know, even even if it's not this, I mean, I struggle to call what happened here good because it's not exactly morally flawless. Mm-hmm. He did massacre. What was it? A total of seven. How many people? Seven, seven. There you go. Like he did massacre seven people. Mm-hmm. Like, um, but he also did do it because he was trying to protect Blaviken from the risk that he thought they posed to him. Look, I, what I'm saying is he basically launched a preemptive strike <laughs> All right. Or, to phrase it as Renfrey does, true evil forced him to choose between evil and greater she evil. She was the WMD. Mm. <laughs> well, the, like, like Eltimold's prophecy is the dodgy <laughs> dossier. Like, oh no. Well, I think what's interesting... Oh god. I think what's interesting in this formulation is when she says either choose me or a lesser, like she's putting herself in the position of the greater she's evil. Positioning as the greater evil, that yeah. The true evil that is Stregobor basically is forcing him to choose between the greater evil that is Renfrey and the lesser evil that is killing her. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Oof. So that's uh, <laughs> that's the lesser evil. Lots to think about. Yeah. About WM and D's. <laughs> yes, and preemptive strikes and uh and listening to bad intelligence. Alright, so um that's our show. Thank you for joining us. Um next week we will be discussing the um 
third story in The Last Wish, which is a question of price, which um, roughly corresponds to episode four of the TV show. Our music is Medieval Abstraction by um, Lucas Perny and Milislav Kolar. And you can find us on Twitter and Tumblr as at the Witcher cast or email us at castapodtoyourwitcher at gmail.com. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time. 